Christ. And it goes because we've been drinking from the springs of living water. <laughs> right? That's why things have grown and things have been blessed and things have been strengthened. So don't ever forget where you got your bread from. Like, Don't ever forget what made you who you are. It's because of this book that works effectually. And uh, I want to preach today. Uh, Matt Maeda made a joke uh, on the way out. He was like, bring us home on Sunday, brother. You know, just... So I want to kind of bring a message, kind of just building off of what we started at camp. And all those messages are online, the audio and the video. I recommend listening to all of them. They were all tremendous. Uh, not the one I preached, but the other ones were all tremendous. But uh, Acts chapter 4, um, we've got our shirts on, and uh, you see the theme on our shirt, um, you know, been with Jesus. And uh, the theme of our camp this year, are we good, Johnny? Am I recording? The theme of our camp this year was that phrase, been with Jesus. I think it's even on the back, a little bit bolded out there, right? Out of Acts chapter 4. And uh, that theme affected everything. It affected kind of the way we kind of made the shirts. It affected probably the messages the guys preached. It affected like the devotional chapters we thought about reading in the morning. We tried to kind of circle everything around that idea of fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the heart of your Christian life. But I want to say something that the theme of our camp needs to be the theme of your life. That the theme or the keynote of your life needs to be been with Jesus. Because you know what? Being with Jesus affects everything. It affects the way you kiss your wife in the morning on the way to work. It affects the way you walk back in the door at the end of a day of work. It affects the way you deal with the many people you have to deal with. It affects everything, whether you've been with Jesus or not. Let's read Acts chapter 4, verse number 8. Peter and James have, uh, I'm sorry, Peter and John have just healed that uh, man at the gate, beautiful, and the Sadducees and the religious people are flipping out, and they're trying to shut them up, and uh, they call them in to speak, and it says in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, that man who couldn't stand, By what means he has made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I want to just jump in on verse number 10 when Peter was saying, if you think it's any power that we have that did this deed, all glory goes to Jesus Christ. And those guys that might have seen something in our church, praise the Lord is the right answer. Because any glory or any credit for any good things that comes out of this assembly, whether it's individually or corporately, be it known unto you this day that by this man, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, doth all these people stand before you whole. And I want you to notice something that these, look at verse 12, these unlearned fishermen who'd cowered in fear just a few days prior had now become fearless. And one great powerful evidence of the Bible is the profound change in Jesus Christ's disciples. 
I mean, you read John chapter 20, verse 19 and 26. I'm not going to flip there. But the Bible says in John chapter 20 that these same disciples were huddled in fear. And the doors were shut. Like I bet the doors of their mouth were shut. I bet not only the physical doors of their homes were shut, I bet the doors of their mouth were shut. I bet they were just so scared, they were hoping nobody realized that they had walked with Jesus Christ. And you look at verse 10, and look what Peter says in verse 10, and verse 11, and verse 12. Now those same rulers, those same Sadducees, those same Pharisees, uh, I don't know, I made one up, Pharisees, those, those, those rulers that the disciples feared, couldn't keep the disciples' mouths shut. They locked them up. They kept preaching. They beat them. They kept preaching. What was the difference? What had caused such a change? The answer is right there in verse 13, which is all over the back of our shirts. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You say, what had made them into those kind of people that would stand for the truth when it might cost them their lives? They had been with Jesus. And what's going to make the change in you? When you spend time with Jesus. When you've been with Jesus. Now I say it a lot, and I want to say it again and again and again. There is nothing... And that means nothing more important than your personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. Coming to church is very important, but you've got to have personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. You've got to read that book by yourself. You've got to speak to God by yourself. You've got to develop a walk with God by yourself because that's the only thing, and I'm going to testify right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only person who can change you for the better. A lot of other people might change you for the worse, but Jesus Christ will always and only change you for the better, both in this life and in that life to come. Being with Jesus will change the way you look. And being with Jesus will change the way you live. So our question of our, for our message today is very simply this. Have you been with Jesus? I'm not asking you if you are saved. I'm asking you, have you been with Jesus? Because I want to know if anybody here will make our camp theme the theme of your life today. Been with Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer here. Father, we love you today. We thank you today. There's nothing I can do to preach this message the right way, Lord. And uh, you know uh, what we want to say, Lord, and I, I pray, Lord, you would say it the way it has to be said. I pray you provoke your people, Lord, to just want to draw nigh, Lord, want to get close, Lord, want to spend time with you, Lord. Not that they might just be changed, but they might just get a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name and for his glory alone we ask, amen. I'm going to ask you to go to Exodus 34, way back in your Old Testament, Exodus 34. I got two simple points, and I... I think it's a, a, a simple message, right? Been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Here's our first point. It's in Exodus 34. The first thing I want to say in Exodus 34. If you've been with Jesus, 
He will change the way you look. If you've been with Jesus, he will change the way you look. Look at Exodus 34, verse 27. And the Lord, now Moses is up there on Mount Sinai with God. And the Lord said unto Moses, write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words, I'm reading verse 27, I have made a covenant with, the, with Israel. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. That's a pretty long time. That's like, forget about no cell phone reception. There's no manja either. There's nothing going on but communion between Moses and his God. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. So Moses spent a lot of time with the Lord, and it changed the way he looked to others. You see verse number 29? Moses' face was shining, and he didn't even realize it. The Bible says he wist not. That means he didn't even know. It's an old you know, Elizabethan word for he didn't know that suddenly he looked different. His face was aglow. And you know what? When you've been with Jesus, you will look different. And you know what? You won't even realize the change that God has been working in you either. You won't even realize that somebody else is going to see it on you. You know, you go on that diet, right? Right, that latest yo-yo diet you're going on. Guess what? You won't see the change when you watch the mirror every day during a diet. But someone who hasn't seen you in six months will notice, hey, you look different. And then they say those four words that are the greatest words anyone says to you after you're 25. Did you lose weight? <laughs> you know, it's like some of you get smitten with puppy love. You know, you're like, wow. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. I've been trying to cut the carbs, you know. Because you don't see the change because you're too close. But somebody who's a little bit further away from you, they see the change, brethren. You say, what happened? You just been with Jesus. You just been a little bit, you know, diligent with that faithfulness there. Hey, Forget about a diet. Ever bump into an old friend since you've been walking with God and he or she sees the difference? Hey, what's different about you? You're not talking the same. You're not walking the same. You're not, you don't like seem the same. Did something happen to you? You see, right? You don't see the difference, but the people around you that are watching you, Moses didn't know his face was shining. He just came down from being with the Lord and the people saw that he looked different. You just plug into coming to church, reading your Bible, praying every day, and being diligent and faithful with those little things, and somebody else is going to turn around, and they're going to see the difference if you've been with Jesus. Because when you've been with Jesus, you know what? The Lord is going to change you without your effort. Because being with Jesus, hallelujah, isn't a diet. It's not about your discipline and your denial and your regiments and your little containers and your counting and your apps and all the stuff you do. You know, can I have that extra crumb today? No, you can have as much of Jesus as you want. And you know what? God is doing something to you on the inside. You heard that testimony that Brother Ray said? You guys are 
different. You guys, he goes to this camp all the time. Man, how could that testimony happen? We couldn't have done anything to manufacture Christ's love and produce that change. We weren't trying. We were just being together and being with our God. And somebody up on the outside said, I've seen a lot of campers, but you guys got something different going on. Why? Because we got the right book. That's the first thing. And we just had the right doctrine. You know what that does? It just that water starts working its way out in your life and something happens. Look at verse number 30, guys. Look at 30. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come nigh, uh, to come afraid to come nigh him. Can I tell you, in a very dark, dark world, the light of Jesus Christ that others see in you will scare some people. When they see that kind of change, like you don't do that anymore, you don't talk that way anymore, you don't want to go here with me anymore. You know what it's going to do? It's going to freak some people out a little bit. It's happened to me. Can I get an amen? Has it ever happened to you? Right? You just, and you don't have to, you're not trying to chase anybody away. You're not trying to be a jerk like me, like I usually am. Like, you're just trying to be with Jesus, and naturally, the flies are going to start getting repelled. The dirt is going to start falling off. The words are going to start falling out of your vocabulary. The habits are going to start changing. You're going to like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I just plugged into the power source, Jesus Christ, and his power just starts working its way out in your life like living water going out from the throne in the millennium. It just starts healing things and restoring things, and you don't know how it's happening, but it's doing something. And for some people, that freaks them out because you're shining, and they know they're in the dark. And it scares them a little bit. You remember the story of the maniac of Gadara? The maniac of Gadara was not this guy up in a cave singing, I'm a maniac. That's not the maniac of Gadara. The maniac of Gadara was full of devils. He was hurting himself, like cutting himself. Like, so all this self-harm going on today, that stuff is sad. It's usually somebody in the grips of the wrong spirit. Like self-harm. He was doing self-harm. He was, he was a loner. He was, wanted to be left by himself. There's something about... You're not wanting to be with the brethren, right? The Bible says if you're saved, you want to be with the brethren. But this guy had the wrong spirit. He wanted to be off by himself, and he's crying all day, and he's cutting himself, and they're trying to chain him up, and he's like an animal. You know who he met? He met Jesus. <laughs> he spent a little time with Jesus. And you know what happened? A supernatural change. Have you been with Jesus? You know what happened when he came back? Jesus got, Jesus got, you know, he took him, to the, took him to the gap or something and got him some clothes and he brought him down here in his new chinos and his button-down shirt and he sat down with them. And the Bible says, when people saw him, quote, that was possessed with the devil and had the legion, there were thousands of devils in him, sitting and clothed and in his right mind... The Bible says they were afraid. You see, why were they afraid? Wasn't that amazing that this guy that was two shots before killing himself was suddenly normal again? Why? Because this guy that was a loner who cried all day in a cave and couldn't be tamed with chains was suddenly walking normally and having normal conversations and thinking normal things? Why was that scary? Because they'd never seen that before. 
they'd seen him do some maybe religious things and they've seen him, you know, they maybe saw him like the, maybe like a religious person went to the cave one day and got scared away. Or maybe somebody came and sprinkled something on him to try to make the bad spirits go away. Or maybe somebody put something around his neck to make the bad spirits go away. Maybe somebody took him into a building with like a thing on it that would somehow have magical powers to make the bad spirits go away. And nothing could change that man. The psychologist went, the psychiatrist went, the self-help monarch, Tony Robbins showed up. Everybody showed up and nothing could change this man. But Jesus Christ did it in a heartbeat. Just a little time with Jesus and this man was radically, radically different. And you know what? They were scared. They said, what is this? Nobody could tame this man, but the one who could tame the sea. Amen? Oh, man, that's amazing. You know what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 40? You don't have to turn there. It says, when God gets you out of the miry pit and gives you a new song, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. You know what that fear is that comes upon people? You know what that fear can do? It might scare some people to the Savior. It might say, what happened to you? How did you change? How are you so different? I just been with Jesus. And that good fear of God that might come over a person might just make somebody want to trust in the God that you have. Isn't that amazing? Now look at verse 33. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Can I tell you, brethren, when you've been with Jesus, the difference will be dramatic? I mean... It wasn't like this guy was like one of those little like glow worms that have little like bioluminescence or something like that. Or like one of those fish that I'm sure James caught that like some of them have bioluminescence or like, you know, like a little like a little glow stick or something like that. No, he he was shining so much that they were like, yo, Moses, 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 can you can you put this like veil over your face? Because you're freaking me out, man. You're like you look like somebody stuck a light bulb in your head and you're just glowing like it's it's freaking it was freaking them out so much. It was a dramatic, dramatic change. Moses really looked different because he had spent some time with Jesus. And brethren, the world can try to do lots of little things to you, but nobody's going to produce the dramatic change like Jesus Christ can. It'll do a little bit. You know, religion will do a little bit. Like a, like a self-help seminar. I took a shot at Tony Robbins. Forgive me. Uh, I went to one of those before I was saved, too. I walked on the fire coals, too. I did all that stuff, too. But you know what? Self-help seminars, they might help you change your career. They might even help you make more money. That's true. All right. And I know I took a shot at religion. I enjoyed doing that. Had to bite my tongue on Friday a little bit. But you know what? Religion might change what rituals you perform at certain required times. But all those changes, they're external. They're, they're, they're superficial. And they're temporary. You know what you get? You get the rubber band effect. You know, you just take a, I, I forgot one, a rubber band. You take a rubber band, you could stretch it and stretch it and stretch it. But eventually, it's just going to snap back to form. And all those outward changes that happen, like religion, like, you know, your own efforts, like your own whatever, like anything but Jesus, you can drag it out and you can hold it there pretty long by a lot of effort, but eventually you're just going to snap back to form. I had tried before I was saved to stop doing some of the things I was doing. I tried to stop cursing. I tried to stop getting angry. I really did. I tried to stop all those things. I, would, I had this whole regimen worked out where I was going to try to discipline myself. And I was so frustrated that I kept snapping back 
to form. I kept snapping back to the way I always was. But you know what happens? Jesus Christ and only God has the power to change you, not on the outside, but on the inside. That's where he starts working on the inside. Not externally, but internally. Not superficially, but profoundly, deeply, on a deep level. Not something that's temporary and snaps back when you let your foot off the gas. Changes that are everlasting in you, Jesus Christ can reap if you let him. Look at verse number 35. Have you been with Jesus? (laughs) Anything different about you? Look at verse 35. And the children of Israel saw, that the, saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. Can I tell you, when you've been with Jesus, the difference just won't be dramatic. It's going to be dazzling. His face shone. It was shining. Now listen, when you've been in the sun... S-U-N. Your skin becomes golden, right? And you dazzle people. You go away on vacation, you go to the shore, right, or something like that, and you show up with that golden tan. You know what people say? Oh, where did you go? Like, where have you been? It's not as good as did you lose weight, but it's pretty good too, right? You know, where did you go? And you're like, oh, I went, you know, I went to the shore, I went to the beach, I got out in the sun a little bit. And people will actually spend money in the winter to go into places to kind of simulate that goldenness, right? To get that tan, right? People want that tan. They can spray it on, rub it on, paint it on, shellac it on, right? People want that tan. It's like an ideal that people go to. Oh, I went on vacation and I didn't even get a tan. Isn't it strange? We like esteem being in the sun and showing off that golden complexion when you've been in the S-U-N. But can I tell you when you've been with the S? O-N, your face starts to shine. You know what happens? You dazzle people in a more profound way. They look at your behavior and they say, ooh, where have you been? Where did you go? What's going on with you? It's the same principle, people. When you've been with Jesus, something about the way you look to others changes. And it's a good change. It's a change that God is trying to show off. Why? So people don't just brag on you. So people see who made you like that. You know what Ecclesiastes 8.1 says? It says, a man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. When you get into the wisdom of this book and you spend time with the one who is wisdom, you know what's going to happen? Your face is going to start shining, people. It may not be a golden brown or that orange hue that people are going for, whatever it is, but you know what you look like? You're going to look different to other people. Why? Because you've been spending time in the S-O-N. They're going to see it, and they're going to be dazzled. Go to, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's flip to our New Testament. Anybody been with Jesus here? Have you? I hope you have, and I hope you want to. I hope I could just whet your appetite, not to go to a camp, but just to be with Jesus. You know, before you go, you go to 2 Corinthians 4, you know, we're supposed to shine. Philippians 2.15 says that the sons of God are supposed to shine as lights in the world. 
How do we shine? You got to spend time with Jesus. You got to fellowship with Christ. You got to get into that book, get on your knees and get in church and just get as much of him as you can. Get as close to him as you can. You know what's going to happen? Then you start shining like you're supposed to shine when you're plugged into the power source. If I take that light and unplug it from the power source, the light is there, but it's not shining. When it's plugged into the power, it illuminates and people can look and say, where's that light coming from? Oh, it's coming from up above over there. Guess what? If you're not walking with God, if you're not fellowshipping with Christ, if you haven't been with Jesus, you might be standing there like a light that's just unplugged. No power, no illumination, no difference. So are you shining? Are you content to stay in the dark? Say, my sins are washed away. I know Jesus is my Savior. That's good for me. I'm glad about that. I'm happy I'm saved. Praise the Lord. But I mean, you're supposed to shine as lights in the world, right? Don't hide it under a bushel, we teach the kids. I'm going to let it shine. How do you let it shine? Just be with Jesus. No program. No procedure. No steps. Just spend time with Jesus Christ. Nobody that ever spent time with Jesus Christ ever walked away the same. You're different. If you want that, he's available. Young people sitting here, guys that went to camp, maybe some of our teenagers, this is not for just the old fuddy-duddies. This is for everybody here. God wants to walk with you and talk with you and fellowship with you if you want him. Now look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The Bible says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, this light in earthen vessels. That's your body. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You know what God wants to do? He wants people to look at the face of Jesus Christ, verse 6, and see that light of God and come to know some things about God. But guess what? They can't see Jesus. You know what they can see? You. And God wants others to look at your face and see the face of Jesus Christ shining right through you. And that way somebody might learn about God and God might get the glory. I wonder, do they see Jesus in you? Do they see any of his grace, any of his mercy, any of his praise, any of his loveliness in you? Look at Revelation chapter 1. Let me show you what Jesus Christ's face looks like. Revelation 1. Revelation chapter 1. You say, what are you doing this for, Pat? Why are you preaching this message? Because I just think Jesus Christ is so good. That he's worth getting some people to want to spend time with him. See, what's your angle, Pat? I don't have an angle. My angle is I want some more people to spend time with my captain. I want some more people to be with Jesus. Because if more people could be with Jesus, I know he'd be blessed and you'd be better. So if you think I got an axe to grind, I have no axe to grind. I got a savior to lift up. I got a savior to lift up and I just want some more people to see him as he truly is. Altogether lovely and worthy of spending some time with him. That's all. He's just worth spending some time with. If you don't think he is, God bless you. I'll let you know when the next barbecue is. You can come and have a burger. But you know what? If you think he's worth spending some time with, I encourage you to be with Jesus. Look at uh, Revelation 1.16. You know what he looks like in truth? Here's John. He sees Jesus Christ as he really is now, risen and lifted up and glorified. In Revelation 1.16, John writes, and he had in his right hand seven stars. Those are his churches. 
And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, that's his word, and his countenance, that's his face and his appearance, was as the sun shineth in his strength. You see, when you've been with Jesus, you become more like him. You say, what does he look like? He shines brighter than the sun. He is the light of the world, capital L. And when you've been with Jesus, you get to be a little light, a lower light that points people back to him. When you've been with Jesus, right? John saw that one of the time on the Mount of Transfiguration that God gave him a little preview and they were so blown away by what he looked like that his face was like lightning, like whiter than snow, like whiter than the sun itself. That's why Moses' face was shining. Because he was in the presence of the one who outshines the sun. And it didn't just make his skin tan. It made him golden. It made him full of light. And can I tell you this? You know what the lesson is there? The people you spend time with will affect you for the better and for the worse. You spend time with the wrong people and I'll watch the lights go out in your eyes. I'll watch the lights go out in your face. You don't even have to show it. You can keep coming to church, and I can spot from 30 feet away, I can spot the lights already going out in you because the fellowship is lost. You're just going through the motions now. I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. And the people, and when you spend time with Jesus, guess what? You see the lights coming on. You see, people looking different. You know what the lesson is? Be careful the company you keep, Christians, because evil communications corrupt good manners. A little leaven's going to leaven the whole lump, right? We can have a great camp, have great preaching, great fellowship, make things right with God, and it's real simple this week to screw up everything God has done in your life, depending on who you're with. Mal gave a testimony uh, quoting a message by Pastor Mel Sabaka, who's in heaven now, and he, she talked about the verse in Philippians 3 where he says, mark them which follow God like we do. Amen. You should sit here. Mark the people that God has marked. And mark the perfect man, the Bible says. Follow the people that are following God like the way you want to follow God and try to get around them. And you know what? You'll start to be different too. If you spend time with Jesus Christ, your face is going to start to shine like Jesus Christ's face shines. And can I tell you this? That's a spiritual thing. But on a physical level, a doctrinal level, if you're being conformed to Jesus Christ, can I tell you this? One day, your skin's going to turn to gold like Jesus Christ very soon. Man, if that trumpet sound and that change happened, you know what? You start to feel like a tingle come over your skin or something like that. And you're going to look at yourself and people are going to be like, feel like you turned to gold or something. And that's the way Christ looks. And you're being conformed to his, his image. And guess what? When you walk those streets of gold, guess what? You're going to be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And if his face shines like that, guess what? You're going to shine if you've been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? You know what? You don't even have to answer. It's all over your face if you've been with Jesus or not. Right? Go to John chapter 4. Let me show you something else about this. Bear with me a little of my folly. I'm running on very little sleep. Right? John chapter 4, verse 35. I think it was uh, that first Thursday night I sat down after the service. I said, oh, there's that feeling. Camp fatigue. There it is. It's like a strange buzz. 
Can I tell you this in John 4, 35, that if you've been with Jesus, it will not only change the way you look to others, it'll change the way you look at others. See John 4, 35? Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples, and he says, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He's talking to his disciples, and those Samaritans are coming out of the city, and they're coming to see him. And he says, hey, look on those fields. Look at those people. Look at those people differently, because if you've been with Jesus, he's going to change the way you look at others. Look at verse number 9, same chapter. Look at verse 9. See verse 9? Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, meaning Jesus, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Can I tell you, brother, the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were unclean. They were considered almost like devil-possessed fools. They were inferior to the Jews. They didn't roll with those dogs and those devils and those unclean people. In fact, if you look at verse number 27, when Jesus came back from talking to the woman, his disciples were kind of like speechless. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. They wouldn't say anything, but they were shocked that he would speak to such a bunch of degenerates like those Samaritans. But can I tell you something? How could you spend time with the Savior that loved you and not look at others differently? Not condescend to men of low estate. How could you look at the love God has had for you and not look with love on the unlovable? Amen? How could you see how God reconciled you to God and not look to reconcile others to God? You know? That's why we're excited about our friend Faith over here. That's why we're excited about the people that might have come to camp that weren't saved. You say, oh, you're trying to convert me? Yes! Yes! I'm trying to get God to convert you. Yes, I want to see your name written in the book of life. Why? Because God looked at me that way when I was unlovable and lost. I'm supposed to look at other people that way, unlovable and lost, and I'm supposed to be trying to reconcile them back to God. So yeah, we did some looking, we did some waiting, we did some praying, we did some weeping. I remember I was saying Zeus, I don't want to puff him up, but he wept some tears for some souls. And the Bible says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. You know, and there we saw some reaping. So I want to know, have you really been with Jesus or do you just have another religion? This one based on the Bible, right? Because it'll change the way you look. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let me hurry, hurry, hurry here. Go to Ecclesiastes 8 and look at verse number 1. Point number 1. If you've been with Jesus, he'll change the way you look. But I want to say number 2 and finally, I heard those hallelujahs. If you've been with Jesus, he will change the way you live. He will change the way you look and he will change the way you live. Can you see Ecclesiastes 8.1 right after the book of Proverbs? Solomon writes, who is as the wise man and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom causeth his, maketh his face to shine. That's the changed look. And the boldness of his face shall be changed. There's the changed life. 
See, being with Jesus doesn't just change the way you look. Jesus Christ changes how you live. Gives you a boldness and a confidence. It says it right there in verse 1. We read it back there in Acts 4. You can read the back of somebody's shirt when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Their lives had been changed. It wasn't religion that they had gotten. It was a relationship with a living God. I had done religion. I had gone to all the big wigs. I had sat with the big honchos. I had sat with the grand poobahs. Nothing changed me. There wasn't a boldness and a confidence. But you start reading that Bible. You start searching it out. You start trusting God's promises. And something happens. Just remember when Jesus spoke as one that had authority and not as the scribes? Because he had walked with God. He was God manifest in the flesh. He wasn't just talking. Right? Sometimes you get around religious people, right, Johnny Murphy? You get around religious people and they like to use big words like sovereignty and supersessionism and soup and salad and, you know, a sail on seashells and all these big fancy words and fair speeches. You know what the God wants? Just some people that want to be with Him. <laughs> Right? Just some unlearned fishermen that stink like the barnacles on the bottom of a boat that want to get close to God. That's where my God lives. That's where my God exists. He's a friend of publicans and sinners. Amen? The people that want to dress in the fancy robes and desire the chief seats, they have their reward. I want to be with Jesus today. You know, those scared saints, man, they had a boldness now because they'd been with the Savior. Listen, is my wife back there? Is Danielle there? All right? Hey, Aunt Danielle. I can say with boldness and confidence that my wife is amazing. You know I could say that? You're supposed to say amen there too, right? (laughs) Because I've spent time with her. I know her, right? It's not like a concept or an ideology I prescribe to. And no atheist fool is going to convince me God isn't real because... I've been with Jesus. I know God, right? I've talked with him. I've had him speak to me out of this word. I felt the warmth of his embrace through the promises of his book. Like I felt the warmth of my wife's embrace. It's not a concept or an ideology that I prescribe to. It's a God that I know. Do you know him? Have you been with him at all? The Bible says in Proverbs 28 that the righteous are bold as a lion, right? They're confident, they're courageous, they're unafraid, like a lion. I don't think a lion rolls up to a gazelle and says, Hi, I'm uh, I'm really hungry, and um, I've got this, uh, I got this food chain out of my biology textbook, and it says that you're you're kind of like what I'm supposed to eat, so um, you think you just lay down dead? You know, no, that lion is confident who he is and how God made him and seizes upon the things that God wants him to do. What gave the disciples such newfound faith? Spending time with Jesus Christ, knowing him. How could you know the lion of the tribe of Judah and not be bold in this jungle? Doesn't mean you got to be brash, but there's a confidence that I know whom I have believed. That's what we're talking about, holy boldness. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, let me show you something else. Isaiah 6. I'm just saying, have you been with Jesus? I'm giving you a few tests. Or are you half dead right now? Isaiah 6. Look at verse 1. Isaiah 6, 1. Here's another person that saw God and was changed. Isaiah 6. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. So he saw Jesus Christ. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah gets this great look at Jesus Christ. He's spending some time with him. He gets this vision. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. From mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I said, how could you be with the Lion of the tribe of Judah and not be bold? I want to say something else. How could you stand in the presence of the Holy One of Israel? And not want to be more holy. Not desire holiness. And esteem righteousness. And thirst for righteousness. You know, we studied a couple of Thursdays ago, the book of Leviticus. And most people think it's a dry book. But you know what it's a book about? It's a book about worship. It's a book about people that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb who now have this access to God like in the priesthood. But for you, you're a believer priest. And now that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you have access to God. Can I tell you, you know what that book of Leviticus is? It's a book of holiness. It says the word holy in some form like 95 times. It says four times, ye shall be holy, for I am holy. And Isaiah, look at verse 5, he got a good look at Jesus Christ and he got the right view of himself. He sees him, he says, once he saw him high and lifted up and they're chanting, holy, holy, holy. And he saw how high Jesus Christ was and he spent some time with that Savior who was so high and lifted up. You know what it did to him? It made him say, woe is me. He got humbled. He got humility. He got the right view of himself. And then he says, because I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, how could you look upon Jesus Christ's wounds and not hate your sin a little bit? Right? He looks at the Savior and he says, woe is me, I'm unclean. How could you get close to Jesus Christ and spend some time with holiness and keep living like a pig? How could you not pause or stop or hesitate? How could you not look at the holes in his hands and say, I put those there. The holes in his feet, I put those there. The thorn, the marks in his brow, I put those there. The spear in his side, I did that to him. Oh, I hate my sin. I hate it. I hate when I disappoint you with these hands and these feet and this mind and this heart that's so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. How could you spend time with Jesus and not think lower of yourself? And just think you got carte blanche to do whatever the blank you please. Yeah, you can do whatever you please. You got free will. But how could you say you've been with Jesus and there's no, maybe I shouldn't do that. Or Lord, I'm sorry I thought that. I wish I didn't say that. Or man, I'm sorry I put you through that, Lord. And then you know what he says next? Woe is me for I am done done because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell 
in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Can I ask you this? Not only does he see God, then he sees himself, and then he sees the world all around him. And how could you get a glimpse of heaven like Isaiah did and not get sick of this sin-sick world? Not just be like, I am so sick of all the sin all around us. How could, how could you not get that way? I don't mean you got to like whip yourself like a, like a monk in a monastery somewhere. You can enjoy the beach this week and, and all that good stuff that God has given us in his creation. But I mean the system and the mentality and the philosophy. You do remember, brethren, that the biblical Jesus overthrew the tables when he saw the corruption in Israel's leaders. He flipped the tables over with those big strong arms and made a scourge of small cords and drove them from the temple. And have you been with that Jesus? How could you be with that Jesus and not want to see him turn the tables on this wicked world? Right? I'm waiting for him to come back and flip the tables over again and drive some wicked people out. Verse 6, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sins purged. That's a blessing. I mean, Isaiah's sitting there, and he wants to serve God. And that seraphim takes this hot coal right off the altar in heaven, and he kind of burns away the sin in, in Isaiah's mouth. And he says, okay, I got the sin out of your unclean lips. Now you can go and you can serve God. And we say, amen, hallelujah. But I want more than my mouth to get cleaned. I don't want just a, a burning coal from off the altar. I want a brand new body. Right? I mean, how could you be with Jesus and not long to be with him forever in a brand new body that'll never disappoint him, that'll never sin, that'll never get tired of hearing Pat preach, that'll never like, you know, never any of these things, a new body that'll never betray the Savior, not just the tongue, but like everything. I feel like Peter, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head, wash everything, Lord. I'm looking forward to the day when I drop this robe of flesh and get a brand new one from heaven that'll never falter and never fail and never disappoint. If you've been with Jesus, there's gotta be a little bit of that longing for that house which is from heaven. Like that seraphim put that coal on his tongue. I'm looking for more than that to come down. Go to Luke 23. I got two more quick ones for you. I'm going to go fast. I'm aware. Luke 23. Luke 23. Have you been with Jesus? Have you been with Jesus? Luke 23. Luke 23. Look at verse 33 of Luke 23, 33. Luke 23, 33. And when they were come... To the place which is called Calvary, where they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Question Have you been with Jesus? Is there any of his love and mercy in your life? See verse 35? And the people stood beholding, they were looking at him. And the rulers, that's of Israel, also with them derided him, saying, Oh, he saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, that's bitterness, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. <laughs> Jesus Christ is getting mocked and abused in his weakest moment, and he's praying for his enemy's forgiveness. 
How can you claim to be a Christian and not live in the shadow of that cross? How can you sing about God's forgiveness and not freely forgive those who've wronged you? Have you been with Jesus? That's the Jesus that we're talking about spending time with, right? The one that hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. C.S. Lewis put it very well. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Have you been with Jesus? Are you forgiving like he's forgiving? Is he changing the way you live at all? Go to the book of Philemon, which is right before Hebrews. You get to the end of Paul's writings to the churches, and he writes to this guy named Philemon right after Titus. It's one chapter. You can read, it, read that whole book in one day. Philemon. And Philemon is a great book because Philemon is about a slave that had run away named Onesimus. And uh, Onesimus was his servant. He ran away from his master, Philemon, and he ran right into a preacher named Paul when he got in prison. And in verse number 10, you see that Paul actually leads Onesimus to Christ and sends him back to his master, sends him back to Philemon. Verse 10, he's writing to Philemon. He says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. Now, he was his son spiritually, right? Because he had gotten him to Christ. He had been born again because of Paul's ministry to him. So he called him his son. My son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds while he was in jail. Which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Whom I have sent again. Thou they have received him, that is, mine own bowels. So like a woman has a baby from her insides, he's saying, this person was born again from my heart, my labor, my ministry. So receive this person that was the fruit of my ministry in his life. Receive him as my child in the faith. Receive him, Philemon. Take him back. Forgive him. And then in verse number 18 is an amazing verse. There's so much typology here. He says this to Philemon. He says, if he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. It's like, you could read that a bunch of different ways. That's like Jesus Christ speaking to the Father on behalf of the sinner. But let's make it practical. That's like Jesus Christ, because Paul is representing Christ here. He's writing under the inspiration of Christ's spirit, right? So that's like Christ speaking to you, a believer like Philemon, about Onesimus, a brother who's wronged you badly, that cost you something. And it's the spirit of Christ saying, can you forgive one another as I have forgiven you? Can you do that? What did Jesus say in some of his last words to his disciples? John 13, he said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How did that camp worker know we'd been with Jesus? He saw the way we interacted with each other. He saw the Savior's love just in the way we laughed at somebody going off a zip line or passed uh, you know, uh, a piece of bread at a dinner table or prayed before an evening meeting. All he saw was how we 
dealt. You know what one of the guys said? And you guys, he goes, you guys have all these different ages, teenagers, little kids, older kids. He goes, and you all just getting along. That's how it's supposed to be. That's the normal Christian life. Bearing long with one another, forgiving one another, forbearing one another in love, the Bible says. You say, but you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she did to me. Can I just say this very nicely? I don't have to. Did you forget what your sin did did to Christ? The worst thing you did, or the worst thing that somebody did to you, pales in comparison to what you did to Jesus. And he forgave you. By his stripes we are healed. And you can't show that little bit of love and mercy to somebody else. Look at Philemon 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. It's like the Lord is saying there, I'll reward you for taking this brother back. I'll make it right. I'll give you back what you lost. I'll bless what you think could never be you know, put back again. I'll take care of it. God's saying, I just want you to spend time with me and follow me. And I'll take care of all the grievances and the things that you want to, the wrongs you want right. I'll take care of it. You just follow me. I will repay it, saith the Lord. Right? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And Paul, under the inspiration of Christ, says, I will repay it if you've been wronged. And the rest of the verse, he says, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. You know what he's saying there? It's like he's saying, have you forgotten how much I've forgiven you? You forgot how much you owe me, huh? He goes, I don't want to tell you that you owe me yourself. You say, oh, Onesimus was my servant and he ran away. Hey, hey, Philemon, you're Christ's servant. You're supposed to be following me. You owe me everything. And when you and I get so puffed up and so righteously indignant because of what so-and-so did to us and we don't want to forgive when God commands us to forgive, guess what? Did you forget that you owe God your life? Because he forgave you? I hope I haven't struck a chord. Have you been with Jesus? Last one, John chapter 2, last one. I'm just asking you some questions, that's all. Have you been with Jesus? Is there any confidence? Any righteousness? Any forgiveness and mercy? And here's one last one. I mean, you, you, you said amen. You claim to spend time with Jesus. I don't mean going to church. I mean privately between you and God. Let me give you this one out of John 2, and then we'll close. John 2, 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drave them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. Yep, that's sweet Jesus, the one with the sparrows flying around his head in your little Sunday school book. And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. They saw Jesus Christ zealous and excited and just putting his whole heart and soul into the things of God. So my last question to you is, how can you be with Jesus or claim to be with Jesus and not have any passion for the things of God? No zeal 
no enthusiasm, no effort, no desire, no anything. It's like, amen. What page is it? Church again, you know. That's not the Savior that's supposed to be living inside of you. He was like, look at this wickedness. Get out of here. There was zeal and passion and and, and just enthusiasm. And the disciples could see his zeal, his fervor, his spirit, his passion, his enthusiasm. Can anyone see any of Jesus Christ's zeal for the Lord in your life? Is the zeal of his house eating you up at all? Are you eating up with it at all? Is it just consume you at all? Are you keeping it all at arm's length? Just like it. That's good for you, Pat. But I just, you know, I got to live my life. I got to do my thing. I can't spend, you know, some of you got me on the clock right now. And once I go past that time, the smoke is building up in your ears. And you could watch a game go into triple overtime and still be screaming like it was the first tip-off. Right? Why? Why is that? Because you're not spending time with the Jesus of this book. Right? Have you been with that Jesus? Now, Matt... And Jason and the Maeda family, I mean no shot at you on this one, but I don't really like hockey. <laughs> I mean, I used to watch it. I used to play roller hockey a lot. I enjoyed it a lot as a kid. I just, I grew out of it. I just, it, it's not enough scoring for me. I got a short attention span. I need the scores to be like 120 to 96, not four to three. All right, it's just not enough for me. Uh, but you know what happened this semester? I had some kids in my classes that were real hockey people, like Jason Mayette is. You know what? I start talking to them. You know what happened? Their enthusiasm provoked me. I, for the first time since like 1994, when some of you were still ice ice baby in it, you know, 1994, when like I think the Rangers won in 1994, right? Uh, with Mark Messier. Holy cow, I'm dating myself. I was all in then, and the first time for decades, I turned on some hockey playoff games. Amen, amen, right? <laughs> I'm getting right with God. I said, oh, I kind of enjoyed it. I, I got a little enthusiasm for it. I, I came into school the next day. I said, you know what, man? I can see why you like watching this game. I can see like, why you like playing this game. It's, it's interesting, man. I'm still not going to play it, but it's interesting. But you know what? You don't naturally like prayer. And you don't naturally like preaching. But if you've been with Jesus and you rub shoulders with people that have been with Jesus, you know what? You're going to start getting interested. You're going to start getting excited. You're going to say, hey, oh, you're going to church on a Thursday? I think I might check that out. A little Bible study? Sure. Oh, you're doing some praying? I like to do. Oh, camp? Yeah, maybe I'll go to camp next time. Yeah, that sounds good. Youth group? That sounds good. Hey, why do we get so excited for the big game or the big show? You know why you get excited? Because you're spending all that time with the team and you're banging helmets together, and you're like clapping hands together, and getting down in stands together, and you're doing all that stuff together. And even if you're not a sports person, if you're doing the recital, or that big show, that musical, and you're in hell week, and you're up till 11, 12 o'clock at night, rehearsing, trying to stick that soft shoe move, and like hit that note perfectly, and all that stuff, you get excited, and you you know what, there's an enthusiasm that builds. Why? Because you're around people that are infectious. There's a zeal there. Hey, why isn't the Lord of the Lord or the zeal of the Lord eating you up? It's because you're not spending time with Jesus. As simple. I know you got your list of excuses. Well, because this happened and that happened and you are too loud and all. I know you got your list of grievances. But I mean, if you've been with Jesus, how could the zeal of the Lord not eat you up?
a little bit. So let's finish in Acts. Finish in Acts 26. Acts 26. I know I'm trying to challenge you here. I'm just saying, hey, the answer is just spend time with Jesus Christ. And I know there's valleys we go through, and you can't always be shouting, trust me. I know. All right? I got it. And CJ walked in on cue when I said that, right? I get it. You're not always going to be shouting. Sometimes you'll be weeping. But you know what? That zeal comes out all different ways. You could pour your heart out in prayer and be broken and weeping your eyes out. That's zeal. That's passion. That's fervor. And some of you might be standing on a street corner holding up a sign and preaching. You know what? That's zeal. It comes out in all different ways. But is there any enthusiasm or desire for the things of God? Or is it like... Like dead wood. You know, anybody at home there? Or have you been with Jesus? Acts 26, 19. Paul is a prisoner now, and he says in Acts 26, 19, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, he's testifying to King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, he's recounting when he saw Jesus Christ, but showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, their salvation, and do works meet for repentance. That's the Apostle Paul in the age of grace under the dispensation of the grace of God in the New Testament church preaching that if you've turned to God to be saved, there should be a change in your life. That something should change in your life that is meet or fitting or suitable to the fact that you claim to be saved. Paul preached that. I didn't preach it. Paul said, if you claim to be saved... Something should change. There's some desire should change. Whether it's the way you look or the way you live, there should be something. They should. Doesn't mean they all do, but they should do works meet for repentance. You say, how can we change? How many people here claim to have turned to God for salvation? Anybody here today? Amen? Okay, okay. How do we change? It's not about what changes you. It's not about a program. It's not about a procedure. It's not about a prescription of steps. It's about Who changes you? Jesus Christ. And being with Jesus will change the way you look and the way you live always for the better. Finish in Acts 4. Let's finish right where we started. Last verse. Make a comment and then we'll close. Acts 4.13. I want to show you something. Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled, and they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. What happened first? The boldness or the being with Jesus? The being with Jesus. You see, if you want to change for the better, you've got to first spend time with Jesus Christ. You want to be a better dad? Be with Jesus. You want to be a better employee? Spend time with Jesus. You want to be a better parent? Be with Jesus. You want to be a bad Christian? Spend more time with Jesus. Because living inside of you is the best at everything. Jesus Christ is the best mother, father, friend, son, citizen, employee, everything. He lives inside of you. You spend time with him and you'll be better at whatever God wants you to be better at. But you got to do that first. And thank God it's not about your ability. Amen. They were unlearned and ignorant. 
They didn't have some kind of cemetery education. I mean seminary education. It's not about your status. Please know that they were just listed as men. Right? Not Pharisees. Not Sadducees. Right? Not Sadducees. Not rulers. They were just fishermen. Guys with calluses on their hands. Guys with scars on their forearms. Guys who smelled when they came home from work. Amen. Right? They were just normal guys. You know what it was about? It was just about your fellowship. It's about you wanting to be with the Jesus who saved you. I can't manufacture that desire. But if you want that desire, the Lord is all open. And when you walk in fellowship with God, like those rulers in verse 13, others will marvel and they'll make note. They're watching you at work. They're watching you at the family dinners. They're watching you right now. People are always watching you, and your life is always making an impact. They're watching you at camps. You say, how do you make an impact? Don't worry about making the impact. Just spend time with Jesus Christ, and you'll make the impact. And even if somebody misses it now, last sentence. When you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, everybody's going to know if you've been with Jesus or not. You won't be able to hide it in that day. They'll know who the pretenders were. They'll know who the people that really wanted him and the people that were just playing. So have you been with Jesus? Do you want to be with Jesus a little more? Do you want our camp theme to be your theme of your life? Let's stand for prayer. Let's stand for prayer.